hot off the press beers, we've partnered with global tech giant Alibaba to produce our latest podcast, The Build Up. Over 10 episodes, The Build Up profiles a diverse range of Australian millennial entrepreneurs as they demystify startup culture and relay formulaic advice to those wanting to take the entrepreneurial lead. Consider it the tech manual for tech-built businesses. Sit back and tune in now to The Build Up by Alibaba Australia New Zealand on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at the link in this episode's description. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidanol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome back to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. When we're in the grips of grief, life begins to dissipate. We begin to lose sense of the present and hope in the future. We begin to wonder why, begin to wonder how, begin to wonder when it stops feeling like this, or if it even could. In a world that's prided on communication, grief seems to be the topic we continue to leave on mute. Why? Today's guest, Adele Archer, is speaking up. Adele is the co-founder of Eternova, a consumer technology company that celebrates lives by making diamonds from ashes. In today's episode, Adele recounts how a conversation about grief inspired an idea that celebrates life, how to stay committed to our business during periods of self-doubt, and what it's really like to pitch on Shark Tank. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome Adele. Adele, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Of course. You know, you and I recently connected, uh, I think it was over email, and when I looked into you on LinkedIn and I saw all of the amazing stuff and work you're doing in the consumer tech space, I knew I had to have you come on the show, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Happy to be here. (laughs) Amazing. Cool. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
I'm the founder and CEO of Eternova. And what we do is we celebrate really special people and pets when they pass um, by making real diamonds from the carbon in their ashes. Um, and I think what's really special, particularly about the process, diamond creation, is it's a very intricate process and journey. And so as we go, we send people pictures and videos and updates, and we've really made it um, kind of an experience that they get to lean into in the wake of losing someone special. And, um, you know, people find that it's just really helpful from a grief side to have something to look forward to over a period of time. It's so, so fascinating, Adele. When I was looking into your business, I was almost, you know, taken aback a little bit. I'd never heard anything like it. Um, and yeah, so excited to talk to you about it today. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Mm, that is a really nice question. Uh, I think it does all tie together. So um, let's see. I was born, I've, I've moved around a good deal, but I was born in Park City, Utah, uh, but then predominantly grew up in California. Um, in high school, I've done two foreign exchanges. Like I did a full year of high school in Spain. Um, I did most of my college in Montreal and then one year in Argentina. Um, then I lived in D.C. and then came down to Austin. Um, and I think, you know, my, my parents, my dad is a, um, he, he was an airline pilot for 33 years with Delta. Um, and then my mom, an entrepreneur. And so I think we were just very, we were exposed to a ton of culture. You know, we traveled a lot. I traveled a ton, um, took advantage of flying on Delta for free. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think it, it definitely had a big impact on me kind of having such a global mindset um, from such a young age and just experiencing different people, different cultures, different perspectives. Um, it just made me very kind of world oriented. And I think, uh, you know, I, from a very early age, wanted to do something that was really meaningful that I felt like you know, could could really change the world in a positive way. Um, so that was just an obsession. It's just finding a mission-focused kind of thesis to work on. It's so, so interesting. And it makes a lot of sense also the fact that you were traveling around and you'd kind of seen the world and you understood that there was a world outside of where you grew up, perhaps, you know, as a child, how was that for you? You know, how was that kind of going to different places, seeing how different people lived, you know, how do you think that time shaped you heading into your teen years and then heading into college where you moved to Canada, et cetera? You know, how do you think that shaped you? And I guess, how can we get better at opening ourselves up to new opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. I think probably one of the biggest things, um, so I grew up in a somewhat conservative household and and I guess something that kind of like ties together. My first chapter was in politics. So my undergrad was in political science. I went to DC and I worked in politics. And it was because I was raised in a more conservative household. I just found economics very interesting because of my dad's influence. But then as I traveled, I just saw so many different perspectives and different living situations people were in. And um, just, you know, different points of view on the world and what matters. And um, I think what is so valuable about travel and it doesn't necessarily have to be travel. It just like creates a little bit of a malleability and how you see about how you see the world, how you think about the world, you know, are you willing to change your perspective and your mind on things? 
Um, and, you know, so I, I could have grown up and only believed in all the conservative things. And it's like, I've kind of instead developed this preference for more of a cornucopia approach. You know, well, I like a little bit of this. I like a little bit of that, you know, and here's how I'm going to kind of build my, my perspective and, um, you know, and then rethink it too. You know, if there's something that made sense to me, you know, a couple of years ago and now it doesn't make as much sense. Like I, I want to be able to have that level of adaptability. And so I would say for somebody like travel helps you do that because you just experience things firsthand that shifts your perspective. But I think, um, reading books and listening to podcasts can do the same thing. You know, um, you can hear so many different perspectives. Uh, I love podcasts personally. I walk around Austin like all the time just listening to podcasts. Um, and yeah, I, I think it can have a similar effect. Totally. And that's part of the reason why I started this podcast many years ago now. But, you know, I think it just does. It opens your mind up to kind of different perspectives and kind of different ways to look at the world. So, If we look back at kind of those early days, you know, that decision to move to Montreal to do your your studies and whatnot, where did that decision come from? You know, I I think, you know, as you mentioned, you said that politics was always a big thing for you and whatnot. For those of us who perhaps feel a little bit trapped or, or maybe we feel just like we have to go down the path that we've always known and we have to go and study a certain thing and then go get, you know, that particular job, you know. For those of us who feel that, how can we start to really challenge it? And at what point for you did you start to challenge that conventional path or mindset? Yeah, um, I think doing an exchange in high school for me was probably one of the hardest things I think I've ever done in my life, um, including building a business. Um Cause, you know, I was 16 years old. I didn't, my Spanish was okay. Um, but I really did not know what I was getting myself into going abroad. You know, I was in the very south of Spain and they didn't speak any English there. Um, and so my family there, they were absolutely amazing. Um, but I had a family and I had an entire high school that nobody could speak my language and I couldn't speak theirs. And so for a good three months, I literally had no personality. I couldn't relate to anybody. I couldn't talk to anybody. And, um, you know, I think like that was a really defining, um, experience for me because very early on, I proved to myself, like I can do hard things, you know, and, uh, I love that. That's a Glennon Doyle statement, but she says like, we can do hard things and it's true. And so I think when you think about, you know, could I leave my state to go to college? Could I leave the country to go to college? Like, you know, kind of go back to those moments of like, yeah, you know, you really can, you can do these hard things. And every time you push yourself out of your comfort zone, your comfort zone grows. Um, and so I think about that visual a lot of like, okay, if I just step outside of my comfort zone, it's just going to expand and like my capacity and what I'm capable of doing will continue to expand. Um, and inevitably those are the experiences that are the most rewarding, you know, like I look back and I'm like, man, that was like one of the richest and most amazing years of my life going to Montreal was just like absolutely incredible. And I'm so glad I did that versus, you know, staying close to home and playing it safe. Um, So I think that there's just, there's totally reward on the other side of taking a risk too. What about the fear aspect? You know, you moved when you were 16. That's pretty young. And that's, I can only imagine how scary and confusing, especially those first three months would have been for you. How can we kind of overcome that fear or do we ever overcome it? And perhaps maybe it's something that we just live with. How can we get better at living with it maybe? Mm, I think about this a lot. Um, 
I, I would say I naturally am going to lean a little bit more towards risk taking, um, you know, and I'm, I'm somebody that does like to kind of jump, you know, like if I, I know it's something that I should do, I try to turn my brain off and just do it, you know, like don't overthink this, just make it like go, 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 you know, momentum. Um, and yet, you know, like it depends on the area of your life. We all get caught up in fear. You know, it may not be, I may have an easier time moving across the country than, you know, having a difficult conversation with somebody that I'm like really kind of anxious about how they're going to respond to it. Um, and I had this experience, actually, I went to South Africa um, in December and uh, I one of the things that I really wanted to do was the bungee jump. They have this bungee jump on, it's the world's tallest bungee jump, but like off of this bridge. And um, it just was like calling me to do it. And I was trying to figure out kind of like the deeper meaning behind it. And I realized it was kind of this idea of doing something that scares you. Like that was like, oh my gosh, just such a crazy thing. I, I not really wanted a bungee jump previously, but I was like, I feel like I need to do this. And it was like doing something that scares you and just like, trusting that the world has got you, um, just having faith and like letting go and not trying to be so in control all the time. Um, and you rebound and you get up and you just like, you know, the endorphins are high and you're like, oh my God, I'm so proud of myself for doing that. And I think like sometimes taking risks, doing hard things is actually about letting go so that you're not trying to over control it. And like, that's, that's kind of the key inside of just surrender to the fear, let go and just trust that you're going to be okay. I love that. Amazing. So I want to dive a bit deeper into the story. So, you know, you're traveling around, you're studying everywhere, <laughs> Montreal, and and then, you know, you head to Austin to do your, I think it was your MBA in entrepreneurship, Acton School of Business. Talk to us a little bit about that time there and then I guess what you what college taught you about yourself and the world around you yeah yeah well I mean I guess first like uh, my first chapter was in politics and so I when I was getting to DC um, you know to work specifically in the political world I was kind of like you know I don't know like that was my undergrad and I was just like I don't know if this is really what I want to be doing and I was having kind of that doubt that I think, um, you know, it's just not uncommon when you're an undergrad, you're like, is this what I really want? Like, is this, is this the right match for me? And, um, I did a year and I validated like, this is not, you know, this is not for me. And so it was really kind of a self discovery of like, well, what is, what's next? You know, what is the next, right next chapter? And, um, I was very fortunate to meet the founder of the Acton School of Business. Um, and he, it was, a very funny because I just believe like your life sometimes when doors open, like you need to recognize them because it's just like you look back and all the dots connect as long as you walk through the door. Um, but I met him at this like political conference down in Guatemala. Um, and it was all about how entrepreneurs could like help with policy reform. And um, so he was facilitating and he was just so interesting the way that he, the quality of his questions and how he was kind of like helping people think through things. It's like, man, I just love how he thinks. And I started talking to him and he's like, oh, well, I have a MBA for entrepreneurs in Austin, you know, a business school. You should come check it out. See what you think. And, um, you know, I started looking into it and I was like, 
this is exactly what I should be doing. You know, I'm a very, again, I've, I'm very mission driven. That's why I went to politics in the first place. You know, oh, I changed the world through politics. And it ends up being, actually, I think I'm more of a outside in disruptor than inside out disruptor, um, you know, and that you can go and really do something very kind of big um, through an entrepreneurial lens. So that was really kind of me moving to Austin was just being like, you know what? I'm not loving what I'm doing. Like, let's see what this door, you know, has on the other side of it. So I did the MBA program and I absolutely loved it. Completely validated. This is what I was supposed to be doing on entrepreneurship. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just, it was an incredible experience. It was very designed to be like learning by doing. I wouldn't say that it was just like, I wouldn't have gone to any business school. It was more about Acton being kind of like by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs, like they're going to like, really make you work and validate if this is what you want to do or not, you know? So I love that. For those of us who were in that gray area and struggling perhaps with the path we're on, maybe, you know, something happened during COVID and we lost our job, or perhaps we realized during COVID that this isn't even what I want to be doing, you know? How can we figure out what that next step is, kind of where to turn to and what we can do next that actually kind of aligns with who we are and our passions? Yeah, I mean, I think like sometimes those those what can feel like crises are actually just such like windows of opportunity that you don't get very often um, because it's clearing the deck for you to really kind of tune into who am I and what do I really like love and care about and you know, how could I just go test that? Because what do I have to lose at this point? Sorry, my cat. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, and and I've I've had that. Like, I actually got let go from a job, like my first tech job. Um, I got fired. And it was just such a, I would say, strike to the ego because I'm very, you know, very perfectionistic and, and get just a really, really hard worker. But it was I'm so glad that it happened because I was not going to give up on it and it was not the right fit for me. And um, when those things happen, you just get them a breather, you know, to just say, okay, well, you know, what do I really, what do I want to be doing? What would I be good at doing? Like that was not the right fit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that right now with my, my boyfriend actually with the the pandemic, like their company, they bought and sold tickets for um, live events. So music festivals and sports and <laughs> everything that got canceled. Um, and, you know, so for a good like six months, they were like, okay, what's, what's going to happen here? You know, we don't know. They had to let go of their entire team and they had a really big operation. And I just watched him kind of use that as an opportunity to say, okay, well, what am I passionate about? He started learning Spanish he um, started learning golf. He's always been really interested in day trading. So he started trading stocks and, hey, it turns out he's really, really good at it. And like, I actually think that that's something that he's going to be incredibly passionate about and, you know, be in a place where he has a ton of options, you know, not just this one thing that he's been doing his whole life, but like, hey, I'm really good at this path and making money here, good at this path, making money here. So, um, you know, I think, they're, they're hard seasons and you have to kind of like handle the emotions around them, but then really see it as an opportunity um, and make the most of it because it is an opportunity and you got to walk through that door. How can we see the opportunity when we feel so beat down and like the world is against us? 
listen to a lot of Tony Robbins. Um, <laughs> like seriously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, and I, I, I joke, but I actually like mean it because, yeah, I, I, I get that way for sure. And I think it's hard to pull yourself out of it. And, you know, having somebody, some other kind of outside pep talk, you know, for lack of a better word, like I will legitimately go on long walks and just listen, re-listen to old, like, like Tony Robbins content, or, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's more podcasts, Brene Brown or Joe Rogan, but, you know, I just listen to people that like share the highs and the lows and, you know, how, you know, they got through and kind of like what that turned into for them. And I think your wheels just start churning. Right. And you're like, you know what, like, yeah, they're right. Okay. Where's the opportunity here? What could I, this, what could I, that? And so for me, it's just kind of like almost getting the inspiration sparked. And then once the inspiration sparked, I go to my journal, you know, and I'm like, okay, like, what do I need to be kind of like reflecting on and, and thinking about here? Sometimes mixing up your environment is really helpful. Like, you know, again, that, going on that trip to South Africa over the new year, I think it was just a long year, a pandemic of, you know, it was exhausting and running a completely remote company. I was just like, man, like fostering culture is so hard right now. And it's just, it was, it was just tough, you know? And I think I needed a trip to reset. I listened to Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights, his book, and it's like the best book. You have to read it. Um, but he's like so playful and so funny. And it was an autobiography about his life. And I think a combination of like taking a road trip and listening to somebody's like quirky, like beautiful autobiography, it just like gave, gives you a new lease on life that you're like, I could do really cool stuff this year. Like, why not? You know? And um, so I think sometimes you just got to figure out how do you mix up your environment and listen to new inspiring content and it just will spark something for you. I absolutely love that and I travel does the same for me as well and to be honest with you podcasts and this one even you know just the conversations and just being able to kind of remove yourself from that state that you've been in amazing so I want to kind of dive a bit deeper into Eternova and I want to talk a little bit about and understand where the idea came about and what those first few steps that you took to get it off the ground I think this all happened in 2017 so a couple of years back now yeah originally when we started Eternova well I, I guess right before that my business partner Garrett and I we worked in tech um so we were working in tech here in Austin and um it was actually my really close friend and my business mentor um, while I was working. She got sick. She was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, and shortly after she was diagnosed, she passed. And Tracy was like, I mean, we were really close. She was like a second mom to me. And, um, you know, just have been so blessed to know what like really showing up for somebody entails. Like she just she would check in on me multiple times a week being like, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Hey, I saw this article. It reminded me of you. Like, Hey, good morning. Like, you know, send me like a gift or something. And it just was like, what a gift and what a like incredibly special thing I want to pay for to people. But, um, yeah. And so when she passed, she didn't, she wasn't married. She didn't have kids. And so it was me and her aunt, um, that basically were like, okay, well, we have to do something that's like incredible for her because she's so amazing. And if not us, then who? And so we started looking into, you know, what are the different options, um, you know, to do like to memorialize somebody? Um, what can you do with ashes? So we we're doing all this research and really not finding anything. Um, it was probably like five to six months of, of research. And um, then it was 
a diamond scientist we were working with that just mentions this offhand. He's like, actually, you know, there's carbon in ashes. Um, so if we can get the carbon out of Tracy's ashes, I might be able to grow you a diamond. And he just blew my mind. I'm like, oh my God, like that is insane. And I want to do that. I have not found anything else that compares to that. Um, and so that was really kind of, it was just from a personal side, you know, like I want a diamond, maybe other people will, maybe they won't, but I really think there's something here. I think the death care industry is just not meeting a modern consumer where they are. We want personalization. We want meaning. We want just a beautiful experience. We want some kind of poignant celebration of somebody's life. Um, not kind of this like awkward, stiff, formal, you know, hush, hush, transactional, you know, so that was really how a turnover was born. It was just trying to be a completely different experience than what's ever been done in death care before. It's so, so fascinating. I was saying this to you before. When I looked into your company, I just never seen anything like it. And, you know, we've interviewed hundreds of entrepreneurs on the show and it's just an absolute standout. You know, how do you take something so abstract or something so out there and, and actually kind of turn that into a, a business and and really kind of take that idea and run with it? Like what were the first few steps that you took to really kind of start to formulate the business side of things? It was not easy. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not an easy business to start by any means. I think our, our supply chain is, is really intricate and really difficult. Like to give you an idea, um, the diamond technology we use, the best scientists in the world are all not even in the United States. They're all abroad. Um, and so, and, and they're, they don't have websites. They're not on like, you can't just like Google them. Um, so a lot of it is literally like tracking down, you know, okay, I know these folks are in this kind of tangential industry. And then you have to go and like, see if you can network with them, see who they'd refer you to. Is there this scientist? When you finally like go through these crazy kind of discovery processes of where are the scientists we need to work with, then it's convincing them to work on this like really bizarre thing that has... <laughs> in, you know, in their mind, at least now it's, it's much more widely embraced, but um, yeah, like they're used to like growing diamonds, maybe for jewelry, but a lot of it is actually industrial applications, you know, so they're doing like diamonds for drill bits or whatever. So you're convincing the scientists like, Hey, help us go like do the most meaningful thing you've ever worked on and, and disrupt death care. And they're like, what? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was literally like, once I identified the scientist, I'd go and identify their grad students. If they taught at school, I'd ask them to coffee. I'd convince them to introduce me to the scientist, then convince them to work with us. So it took a while to set all of it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think once you get them there, they just realize, wow, like the, the difference between doing something that's like, you know, cool, we're, we're doing something great for the world with, you know, oil and gas drill bits. It does not compare to this. So um, I think they're all very excited to get to contribute to the body of science around what we do. I can only imagine. For our peers out there listening who perhaps they've got an idea or perhaps they're two years into their business idea or whatever it may be or their side hustle, you know, what advice would you give about kind of staying committed in the early days? You know, for you, it seems it was a, it was tough to set this up, you know. How can we stay committed when we feel like it's just so hard and no one really understands what our mission is and what we're trying to do? Well, I think the piece of advice I do give everybody even before they start is make sure it is the right business that you're working on. Because um, I think 
it's really tempting. It like, like, you know, you can get really excited about something. You're like, I want to work on this and this is amazing. And I want to like, you know, kind of define my own path. And I think we jump too fast, generally speaking. Um, and so I would just say like, first, just do a really rigorous exercise of like, am I solving a real problem? How intense is my customer's need? Um, you know, is this like a major pain point for them where they will, you know, completely price insensitive that they would do this? Um, you know, how does the distribution of this work? Is that going to be easy or hard? You know, what does the competitive set look like? Is that easy or hard? Is this fundable? You know, and like having kind of like a framework that you're really saying, is this a good business model? Um, because I think we can be really passionate about things and kind of be like pitching, pitching, pitching. You're just, you're treading water on a model that like is not going to have legs. And I've done that myself. I say that from experience. So I think that that's my first piece of advice. And then, um, you know, once you're in it, yeah, you're going to have kind of these like rough seasons and spells. Um, I think for me personally, I would say staying really close to my customers is very rewarding. And even when I was in tech, it was the same thing of just like staying really close to your customers and, and just like being super curious about like, what do you get out of this? What do you love about this? What could we do better? You know, and always like kind of obsessing over how you add more value because that's always going to correlate with, you know, okay, well, if we're adding more value to our customers in an authentic way, like it's going to help grow the business. They're going to talk about us more. They're going to be, you know, the, the churn is going to go down or whatever it is. Um, so, and it just gives you a sense of passion and purpose and, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in it because I can see how much value I'm adding. And in the beginning we bootstrapped a turn of a, um, so we actually didn't raise money out the gate. And I think that that can be really valuable if you are able to do it. Um, because, you just get very intentional with every investment you're making and you're not on this treadmill of like, oh my God, oh my God, like we're going to run out of cash. It's like, you don't feel that pressure. You can like build it slowly intentionally. And then once you've got the model that's working, then you can go raise capital. Um, so I think like a lot of people don't try bootstrapping. They just start by fundraising. And that can be really hard when you're just trying to figure it all out still. So I'd say those three things might be my first pieces of advice. <laughs> I love it. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think we can get uh, very caught up in the idea of what being an entrepreneur or, or, you know, being a business owner could look like or potentially what we think it is. So I think something I find really fascinating about you, Adele, is, is the fact that you've got this ability to influence, I would say, or perhaps convince people or sell people on what you actually want. And I think that's actually a skill. And I think it's a very important one, especially in business. You know, talk to us a little bit about where that comes from for you and how you've cultivated that skill and then how we can get better at kind of being able to influence without quote unquote selling. Yeah, this is a... uh a strengths finder. They have one called Woo. It's called Winning Others Over. <laughs> it was one of my one of my strengths in the strength finder, which is funny. Um, so yeah, where does that come from? It's probably, I would say, a combination of my grandma is a she's an actress. She was a, a movie star. Um, my aunt is as well. So kind of we have on my dad's side of the family a lot of actresses. Uh, so that's kind of, I would say, some performance element that we have in our family. Um, and then uh, my mom is an entrepreneur and she's a really good seller. Uh, so growing up, I mean, I remember being like 11, 12 years old and my mom being like, 
let's do a lemonade stand, but let's do it like the organic, like mint infused iced tea and like, like high end banana bread and go to the golf course and you'll sell them for $10 a piece, you know? And so, um, we were always kind of, she, she taught me from a young age, like how to, how to hustle. She had me selling, she had a home design source book magazine. Um, and, uh, there were kind of ad units in that, in that beautiful coffee table book. It kind of helped you with home building. And so I like, 14 or 15, she had me going into these businesses and trying to sell like ad placements in her magazine. Um, so I think like, I do think sales is really, really valuable experience. Um, even if you're not like, oh, I'm not a salesperson personality or, you know, whatever, like it doesn't matter. It's going to be such a valuable skill set that even if that's your first job, like you're never going to regret having sales fundamentals. And then I would just say, uh, like this was something they talked a lot about on Shark Tank um, when we were all preparing for it. It's just your energy. It's like energy, 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 energy. And so they wanted us always like, like they're like more intense, more intense, you know, and you're like, I feel cheesy at this point. But um, I think there's just something really insightful about um, energy, like energy transfers. And so what you really want to be transferring to somebody is like, you're, you're enthusiastic and you're passionate and you believe and you're transferring that belief and that like conviction about something. And so they're going to receive that and be like, wow, okay. Like, you know, I feel elevated and excited somehow, some way. Um, I do agree that there is a balance to like, not make it feel like you're coming, like pushing, you know, and coming down on something. I think it's, there is kind of an art, um, my business partner here, it's very good at this. He talks about it as the push away. Um, so he does this in sales all the time where he'll be like, this may be right for you. It may not be. And that's totally okay. You know, so he'll like intentionally push you away and then just like talk about it in the most passionate way. And he's like, but that's probably not right for you. It may not be you, you tell me, you know? And so it's like, he's built up that excitement, but then he's been like, this is your decision, not mine. Um, and I think that that is really important because you're allowing somebody to be in control of like how they decide where they're going to land on whether they like what you're talking about or not. But like, you've given them all of the energy to get excited about it. And then they're like, okay, I don't feel like they're trying to force me into a decision here. Um, so if I were to kind of decode it, it might be those three things. So cool. So great. I want to talk a little bit about your shark tank experience, you know, as we, well, we've got a couple final questions, but I want to talk about this and dissect this before we head off to the end of the, of the interview. What was that experience like for you? I had a bit of a sneaky watch. Um, I, I think it was back in end of 2019 or October-ish, maybe September. Um, you know, you look so poised, both of you, you know, just so put together. I felt like you held yourself so well. But I felt the pressure. Oh, my goodness. You know, can you talk to all of our amazing peers out there about what that experience was like for you, how it went? And I want to know if Mark ended up investing. Yeah, yeah, he did. He's he's fully invested wow. and he's great. Yeah, yeah, he's an advisor to us too. Um, it was a, just a crazy experience. Um, yeah, that was like... I've never felt so, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like I don't get worried that much about go, you know, doing kind of general interviews or anything like that. And this was just another level. Like you, you don't realize how many, not only how many people watch it, but then how many of 
the people that know you in your life are going to be watching it. Like every single person I've ever known in my entire life reached out to me saying, we're having a watch party tonight to watch your episode. And like, this is like dating back to like third grade babysitters, you know, that are like, we're having a watch party. And you're just like, Oh my God, what is going to be on this episode? Um, and cause it's a good 45 hour, you know, of filming, you know, everything that's in the filming, you know, but you're like, how are they going to slice and dice this into seven minutes? And how is it going to kind of portray everything? And so, yeah, I mean, definitely just a lot of like, Whew, okay, I'm, I'm standing in my underwear in front of the world. Let's see what happens. Um, but I, I think it was such a special for us, at least it was very, very important for our company. Um, because, we were the first ever death care company on Shark Tank. And um, to be talking about death and loss and grief and remembrance on a national stage, you know, for something that is so taboo and, you know, hush hush and is not a conversation we normally talk about, you know, that's something that we're very passionate about is destigmatizing this and opening up a conversation. It's an experience we're all going to go through. We've all lost people that are really important to us. So, um, you know, let's, let's get okay with talking about it. And we actually made our pitch, um, a video of our customers. So we actually didn't want to just be like, we're a turnabout. Here's what we do. We're so cool. It's like, no, let us like show you the loved ones that become diamonds. Let us let our customers talk about why they actually did this. Um, and that was a super poignant, um, you know, last, I would say my, uh, I had, this is my grandma's diamond. I am wearing a yellow diamond. Um, and that's my grandma. Uh, she was the movie actress, right? And uh, this is Tracy's Black Diamond, uh, my business mentor. I wear her every day. And so getting to have my mentor and my grandma, um, both like, because it just, there's such a kind of physicality of having your person there with you in big moments and on big days. And I was like, okay, my grandma's got the cameras covered. Tracy's going to objection handle all the sharks. Like we've got this, you know? And um, yeah, I think I, I, I do think you feel less like, oh, it's all on me. You know, you're kind of like, it's that moment of grace of like, okay, I'm just going to show up and trust that we're going to, we're going to work through this because we're all here. We're going to do this. So, so powerful. Wow. Following on from that, what was the hype like? You know, I mean, Oh my goodness, I could talk about all the awards, but just I'd love to hear it from you. You know, what came after Shark Tank and how do you think that experience shaped the way your business progressed? I think it was really important um, because we we are a category creator. A lot of people like this, you know, no, very few people know about this still, um, or at least particularly pre-Shark Tank, I'd say, is um, most people had no idea you could turn your loved one's ashes into a diamond. And um, we hear that all the time. People are like, man, I really wish I knew this three years ago when my dad passed and we, you know, spread all the ashes. Like I, I would have done this in a heartbeat. And so um, it was really big for kind of raising that awareness that this is something you can do. We're ushering in a new age of, you know, not just being confined to coffins and urns anymore, you know, and like this is absolutely something that, you know, you can do. And I think just resonates with the younger generation. And um, so it was just so powerful to elevate that awareness around it. Um, you know, and today I think a good like 10 to 15% of our customers originally heard about us on Shark Tank, which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, and, and I think having Mark involved too is also super powerful because I think, um, you know, people, 
this is still something that people are getting used to. And like, if you've lost somebody really close to you, you get this. You're like, I, I completely resonate with the idea of having somebody I love and care about with me all the time in a beautiful way. Um, but if you haven't, people are like, I don't know, is like, is this amazing or is this weird? And I think having a Mark Cuban involved, they're like, oh, you know, this is the memorialization and kind of the grief experience of the future. Um, so that's been a really powerful signal. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would say it's just been super fast growth ever since. And, you know, we've been very fortunate to have some very successful fundraising rounds and, you know, reach some very big milestones. And um, yeah, a lot of it is, has been catalyzed uh, by just more people learning about this and being like, this is, this is what we're going to be doing going forward. So, so amazing. Oh my goodness, Adele, we could talk for days. I'm absolutely loving this. I've got a couple final questions for you. I guess the first one is, you know, you talked about in the early days that things were tough. You know, you were trying to convince, you were using your selling techniques and your influence to convince people to even do this, the scientists to even do it. And then you kind of snapshot to Shark Tank and now you've got Mark Cuban and as you mentioned, a couple of other amazing investors and whatnot. And you guys are really on that upward, you know, hill trajectory. When you look back, what pieces of advice would you give to yourself? Is there any tips that you would say or is there perhaps even a mantra that you would say to repeat to yourself? What are some of those key things for you? I would say, I mean, even the lessons then apply now, um, you know, because there's there's always like the, the problems are always there, the, the hardships or the low points and they're just different problems, you know, and so it's not like you you solve it all with growth and seeing some success. Um, but I think like the biggest one that I remind myself about a lot, but I think in particular in the beginning, if I could go back and like just coach myself on, it's just like, it sounds so corny to say, believe in yourself. But like, I, I literally mean that in a way that like, you can figure things out. Don't feel like, you know, we actually started with a third partner originally and we wanted somebody that was more experienced. They've been there. They've done that. You know, maybe we can like avoid all these shortcuts, learning shortcuts. And like it didn't end up working out. And I think like had I just believed in my ability to figure things out, you know, like I, I wouldn't have felt like I needed kind of like those kind of bumper rails or, you know, kind of you're always looking for like, okay, like what, how can I like kind of, you know, what, what are the crutches and, and you don't need them. You just have to believe that like, okay, I can figure this out. I will figure this out. You know, I'm going to bet on me and, um, you know, and, and you're going to be able to do so much. And so I think that that's probably one thing. Um, confidence cultivation is so key, like what we're talking about. And, you know, whenever I'm having a bad day or it's just rough, I just, I, I sleep on it. You know, I, I literally go to bed. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop working right now. I'm going to go do something decompressing. I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be kind of in a different mindset or place. Um, I do have a lot of rituals that I do, you know, meditation and, you know, yoga and paddleboarding and cryotherapy. And so like, I'm very interested in kind of all of those wellness practices because it is, it's so much about your state management um, because you're going to be doing on a much, much rockier and rougher ride than the average person. And so like, what is your tool? What are the tools in your toolkit to be managing your mental health and like building that resilience? 
um, because it's not just going to be born innately, you know, like you have to put in the work to build the resilience. So I would say that those are my biggest pieces of advice. I love that. Amazing. Look, Adele, you know, you've achieved so much in the last, I think it's just over three and a half years in business. You've gone from strength to strength. You know, you've received a lot of recognition for your work. As we talked about, you're featured on Shark Tank. You also featured on both Inc. and Forbes 30 Under 30. You know, what, what do you believe has been the greatest, and I say this in quotations, success for you to date? perhaps in terms of how you've personally grown throughout this journey? Gosh, I feel like, well, for me personally, it is getting to see our mission realized. Um, you know, there's there's a personal growth side and then there's the like, what is just so, like in terms of ultimate success, what is so rewarding at this point, we've done uh, like over 1300 diamonds. And when you hear the story behind every single one of these diamonds, I mean, it's just like they're some of the most like unbelievable people you've ever heard of. And and they're not like, you know, famous. Oh, I did so much in a lifetime. It's it's like, wow, that was the best dad I've ever heard of in my life. Or like the relationship between that guy and his sister and the fact that he's doing this for his sister because they were so freaking close. Like, you know, you just you take it home with you and you think about it and you just are like, how am I showing up, you know, in my relationships and like they teach you how to be a better person. And then when you get to deliver them home to their family and just see like the impact that that has, it's just as like, you've, you've kind of taken them on this amazing journey and they've gotten to like talk about their loved one with you and you built this relationship and this friendship and you, they get all the diamond updates and they're sharing them with their friends and family. And then their diamond comes home and they're just like, they put their diamond on for the first time. They're like, there's just this peace and this calm and this closure. And like, I get to move into a new chapter now, you know, with my loved one in a different form and I'm in a different place with my grief. And so to me, it's just like, if we can impact more people and give them kind of reimagine that experience around loss, like, wow, that is meaningful. And, you know, even now I'm, I'm very happy with how many we've impacted. If I did die tomorrow, I'd be like, hell yeah, that was successful. Um, but yeah, we're, 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 we want to go for transforming the whole industry. So we'll keep building. But then on a personal side, I think one of the most rewarding things um, recently was hiring our executive team um, and just really watching like unbelievably talented leaders um, just kind of take over different areas of the company and just like absolutely fly. And it's just, a, it's so awesome to get to be kind of their cheerleader and they're like, I believe in you and you are just like crushing this right now and step back and, and uh, watch what they're going to be able to do. So I think that that's just a big lesson is just having like humility and always hiring people who are way better than you and building the best team that you can. And then just being their biggest cheerleader that you can be. Um, so that's just been really cool and rewarding to see. So cool. So amazing. Oh my goodness, Adele, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for showing us and particularly us women and, you know, young women that if we have that mission, if we have that kind of truth, we can actually go after it. We can turn it into something that, you know, is an everyday job or is a full-time gig and it's not some fantasy. It's not, you know, impossible. And for that, we really appreciate you. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more. I'm like, I would love to see more female entrepreneurs. Like, and the big piece of it is like, we have to believe in ourselves. We have to build our confidence because like we're badass entrepreneurs. Yes. Like you look at female founded companies and like, they're actually like statistically more successful. And so it's just, it is that starting kind of time frame of just like, you've got to believe in yourself and just get after it. And like, you can do it. And then you are going to outpace everybody else. So <laughs> I love it. And the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Well, again, I, I, I'm in the business of literally hearing like every day, uh, what life is all about. And, um, I think our time is so precious on this earth and we really, really don't know how long we have. Like, and I, I don't say that to be, you know, depressing or morbid in any way. It's just that it's that memento mori mindset of just like live with the end in mind. You know, if, if you did have to write your eulogy and you were, you were just thinking about like, what do I want people to say about me? And, you know, not, not because you care what people think, but because you want to be true to who you are and living a life that is super true to you. You know, what were the things that you did focus on? Because they may be work, but they may not be. Um, and so it's like, what are the relationships that you need to be investing in? Um, and then when you're investing in something that you just like so deeply believe in and you just feel that sense of contribution and, um, you know, a deep sense of meaning, like you're just going to get a different fuel of, um, of motivation. It's a, it's a different source of motivation that your, your kind of drive is coming from. Um, and so it just helps you get through the hard times, you know, in, in a much more kind of sustainable way than if you're just doing something kind of out of ego. And so I think just really getting kind of tied to here's something I love and I believe in deeply or something that like makes me very angry and I want to see different in the world. Like those are the things that are just going to fuel you and you're going to feel that fulfillment of like solving, working to solve them um, rather than, you know, maybe just doing something that is, is, you know, makes a bunch of money, but you know, does it, does it make you happy at the end of the day? You know, if, if, you did get diagnosed with cancer tomorrow. Like, were you like, that was time well spent, you know? Um, it's a good question to ask yourself. Well, thank you so much, Adele. This has been so incredible. Your business is so amazing and we really appreciate you. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys too. Thanks for great questions. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion. And it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>